Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today. Our first study comes from the University of Reading, which is in the United Kingdom. And it talks about the power of the one single glass of orange juice in the morning. Why? Because according to this study, it boosts cognitive function and conscious mental activity. So in terms of antioxidant power, We've always thought that, well, it didn't have that much. Well, it turns out we've been underrating it almost by a factor of 10. Yes. Now the reality is oranges are a highly underrated fruit. They contain rich sources of carotenoids, flavonoids, and vitamin C. And they help, one glass helps with the flavonoid-rich cognitive function stimulation compared to, compared to a placebo. Now, this was published in the European Journal of Nutrition, and it talks about one glass was significantly able to improve scores for attention, executive function, psychomotor speed in healthy middle-aged men without mild cognitive impairment six hours after consuming it. So, it's in your body for the next six hours doing good. It has lutein, xanathine, Compounds believed to play an important role in preventing age-related macular degeneration, or loss of vision, and cognitive impairment. All senior citizens should have, have it. Now, you can make your own. I have fruit trees here. I have over 45 different variety of fruit. A lot of them are oranges and lemons, and I mix those together in the morning. Or you can get yourself a, a bottle of orange juice if you don't have access, or buy organic oranges and juice them yourself. Now, if you really want a cleansing, clean the outside properly and then juice the whole orange, the whole lemon. You're getting even more power. And But when you pasteurize it, and almost all of the orange juice comes in bottles, is pasteurized. You diminish the vitamin C by 20%. So it's important to get as much freshly squeezed orange juice wherever possible. Now, also you have carotenoid bioaccessibility, meaning how easily the body can absorb the nutrients also differs from person to person. The same bioaccessibility is also enhanced from 10% in oranges to almost 30% when freshly squeezed. So, freshly squeezed, always better. And you're getting about 96% the actual nutrients out of that orange, in the orange juice. And remember, most people have orange juice on an empty stomach, and that even speeds up how well you're going to get that vitamin C and other nutrients into your body. And this was a double-blind, placebo-controlled crossover study, so it made a difference. All right? One single item makes a difference. And also, you're becoming more alert. So, that's that. Now, from Pennsylvania State University comes a study about CBD and CGB can promote bone fracture healing and manage pain. These are cannabis oils, and uh, they're all coming in medicinal form as oils, and they're helping bone fracture patients manage their pain. That's according to this study. And again, I'm looking at all the scientific literature to see what helps that is natural, non-toxic, that is often non-steroidal because non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like aspirin 
well, they can cause side effects, including death. So I want something that's natural. And CBD and CBG help with the fracture healing process. And they're anti-inflammatory and they turn off pain. So it's all good. For a long time, Americans have assumed that, well, fluoride in the water is good. Well, it's not. I wrote the definitive study on this almost 40 years ago, and I keep updating it. Now all the science is showing that it's not good. This is from Tulane University. It's brand new. Excess fluoride linked to cognitive impairment in children. Yes. Now, when we're consuming water, let's just say tap water, we're going to be consuming it every day. So it doesn't take long before, within a year, you're a long-term consumer of water with fluoride levels. And uh, and if it's just, you don't know how much that fluoride is going into your body. You don't know how much is being absorbed. But it's a toxin. The study is published in Neuro, the Journal of Neurotoxicology and Teratology. And uh, so you don't want to be getting a lot of fluoride because it can harm you. Just saying, non-fluoridated water is better. And from the University of Montreal and McGill University in Canada, our favorite bittersweet symphonies may help us deal better with physical pain. What do I mean? Research has shown that music might be a drug-free way to lower your pain perception. This decreased sensitivity to pain, also very important because you're doing it without drugs, can occur when pain stimuli are disrupted between their point of input and where they're recognized as pain by the conscious mind. In a new study, researchers in Canada have examined what type of music helps dampen pain perception. And in their study, they show that Favorite music chosen by the study participants has a much larger effect on acute thermal pain reduction than unfamiliar relaxing music. So just think of the music you like the most uh, and the music that you have some emotional response to. That's what they found. All right? And that can play a very strong role in predicting whether music will have an effect on your pain good music you enjoy listening to, and reduce your pain perception. Now, there's one simple uh, condiment that we should be using, cinnamon. We know it's good for diabetic. We know it's good if you're having oatmeal to have cinnamon in the oatmeal because it maintains more normal blood sugar. But according to the University School of Engineering in Australia, cinnamon cools your stomach. So adding cinnamon to your diet can cool your body by up to two degrees, according to the newest research. And it contributes to general improvement in overall health. A distinguished professor there showed this in a study. So sometimes people get very hot and uh, this cools them down. All right. Another study from Tulane University shows that a simple diet swaps can cut carbon emissions and improve your health. Curbing carbon emissions helps global warming. So eating healthier can both start at 
the dinner table? How? According to the researchers, publishing an article in Nature Food, making simple substitutions like switching from beef to chicken, or drinking plant-based milk rather than cow's milk, can reduce the average person's carbon footprint by up to 35%, while also boosting diet quality by 10%. Now, what if we did it even more so? What if we went, like myself, full vegan? And what if we bought locally grown organic produce? What if we began to grow some of our own produce? You certainly can grow sprouts inside on your counter, microgreens. You can grow blueberries, raspberries, strawberries, blackberries. Yeah, oranges and lemons in your own house. You can do this. Now, by eating non-animal proteins, you're also going to cut back all of the methane that is produced by those animals. And the animal suffering, you can reduce that as well. Coconut milk, almond milk, there's all these different rice milk, there's all these non-dairy alternatives. And they come in all different forms. You can have it in a jack cheese, Swiss cheese, cheddar cheese, sharp cheeses. You can have it in cream cheese, buttermilk, and these are all non-dairy. All right? That gives you greater health and can reduce your carbon footprint by up to 60%. That's a big deal. Now, if millions of it did, that would be terrific. That's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm Gary Knoll. Yesterday, I began part one, and I'm completing today part two, of an in-depth article looking at climate change. As I mentioned yesterday, just to highlight a few points, most people are sincerely concerned about the environment, especially if you live in areas that have been affected. At any given day around the world, there's some form of extreme climate event. The science is on the side that yes, humans contribute substantially to climate change. On the other side is an argument that is gaining more voices saying, well, we shouldn't be jumping to any conclusions this moment because the science is not complete. Look how many times you made predictions you've been wrong. Well, the world's going to end, uh, you know, in five years, seven years, 12 years, and then it doesn't. Both sides have legitimate arguments. On the one hand, we have real science by real climatologists who've gone to the different places around the world, measured the changes, even showing a time-lapse photography over 30 years of a glacier in North America and how it just receded clear back to where it's almost disappeared or going to the Himalayas and looking at, looking at where all the water comes from that feeds several billion people coming down at China, India as examples, Nepal, and now where a person used to be able to walk out of their home and go 20 feet and there'd be a large body of water from the glaciers melting, now they have to walk long distances because everything is receding. You're not getting the same amount of snowpack. As a result, if you don't have the snowpack, then the snow can't melt over a period of months, releasing water that then feeds irrigation systems and people's needs. And that's happening in the United States. That's why Lake Mead and Lake Powell were going dry 
and would have been dry within 12 months. But we had a lot of rain, and that lot of rain filled it up a bit. Well, everyone said good, but that's only good for a moment in time. Within a year, with the drought back, it'll go right back down again. So the climate change is real. We're contributing to it. And the problem is, as I've stated with the first two groups, one who are right on the science and wrong on their predictions, dead wrong, and they don't have good solutions. The other one is uh, right to say we've got to get out of all fossil fuel and stop subsidizing it. They are right. We've got to get hands off in a period of time, gas, gas hydrofracking, which destroys the destroys the environment, pollutes the water and air, also oil and uh, nuclear. None of these are safe. None of them are without pollution. Enormous subsidies and costs. And the downside of nuclear power, if you have an accident, you're going to hurt a lot of people because that doesn't depollute itself for thousands of years. So the issue is you have to have a third plan that is not relying upon recreational vehicles that are powered by solar you've got to get and, and solar power is the primary uh, way of going forward because it doesn't work in the amount of materials you have to extract from the land which creates massive amounts of pollution and carbon dioxide into the atmosphere cannot be offset there's no offset point you're creating more harm to the environment to make something is supposed to save the environment which is an oxymoronic concept. If you said, okay, we're going to pollute the environment by 20%, but get 70% benefit from it and stop global warming, that's one thing. But what we have is you have far more pollution, far more costs, far more subsidies needed for something that's not sustainable. Because at nighttime, solar doesn't work. It has to be powered by backup storage batteries, which themselves have to have enormous amounts of minerals taken out of the ground to make these. And the people don't see the backside of this. You know, they don't see it. You have to see the whole picture to appreciate that what we have to do is first we have to get people not affiliated with government and private industry because they're all corrupt as hell. All right? Yeah, Al Gore and the rest of these people go out there and pontificate about we need green now as he flies in private jets. Oh, yeah, and he's talking you see him carrying his bag, his travel bag over his shoulder walking through an airport. Yeah, <laughs> see the rest of it in real, in real life. Look at his home in Tennessee of how much of power he's using in that place. Wind doesn't work. Solar doesn't work as an answer. What will work as an answer is geothermal because you don't have to destroy the environment. It's already there in its natural form like Yellowstone National Park. Could you imagine as many springs as there are in the temperature of springs properly, properly technologically done? How many millions of people's homes that that could reach? They do it in Iceland. We have examples around the world of using geothermal. But what about wave power? Again, non-polluting. Non no major cost to the uh, environment to get it going. And you have it. You have it in the Hudson River. I filmed it. I, had, I went in to do a, a documentary on the, saving the environment, and I saw one of these 
you know, slow-moving turbines in the water, and it creates electricity. So we have solutions, and also enough science to validate cold fusion would be another way. And even bladeless wind power, now they're coming up with more innovative styles. Remember the old, back in the 1970s, carried in a suitcase, a cell phone in a suitcase, because it had a huge battery, and it weighed about 30 pounds. I remember that. And now you get the little tiny things. Well, same thing can happen with wind, where people can put a small, bladeless wind uh, turbine in their backyard or on their house without the noise, without killing birds, inexpensive, and that's being developed and in use right now. But there's no money in it for big corporations. Remember, follow the money and you'll see who controls the environmental movement. But there's a, another factor that is not considered here, and it really concerns me. I come from Appalachia, West Virginia. I was born and raised there, went to college there before I came to New York. You've got some really hardworking people who put their lives at risk, not just physically, but also the consequences like black lung from the coal dust. And just like down in the South, uh, you, had, uh, you had brown lung from the cotton mills and processing cotton, the pollution. Why don't we take the people working in coal and other industries and create a non-toxic environment for them, meaning companies that maybe grow food for people hydroponically. By the way, you ought to really take a look at how much food they're growing for all of Europe out of one little tiny space not far from Gibraltar and uh, in Portugal. I mean, huge amount of food grown in these hydroponic greenhouses and how the Japanese have developed new types of greenhouse where you can get 10 times more food out. Even I'm doing that in Texas. I did an experimental greenhouse and saw other ways I could, I could grow things horizontally and vertically and on lines. And I'm getting five times more produce out of organic produce out of that greenhouse than just a normal greenhouse. So we should be developing technologies of different types that would replace the jobs they have and then allow them to transition. As you create something here that's going to give thousands, hundreds of thousands of people a living wage to continue a quality of life, then you close this industry down as you support this one that is self-sufficient, doesn't need to be subsidized, and provide something that's healthy for people. I'm going to use food as an example. There's a thousand other things you could do there. We could start making clothes in the United States like we used to, instead of going to Bangladesh for 900 million garments a year, or China, or India. We could do a lot of stuff if we just realized we have people that we should be concerned about, not just profit. Now, when we take a look, as I said, I would not buy, I wouldn't drive if you gave me a electric vehicle because it's hypocrisy, it'd be virtue signaling. As a scientist, as an environmentalist, a real environmentalist. I care about the whole truth and not just cherry-picking one side of an argument. Close down all power plants. Okay, and what are we supposed to do for power? And what about the jobs of those people? They don't matter. Well, they do matter. 
And you can't just be running off with some ideology because you're, you're using it for political gain, political posturing. Think through things. And right now we seem to be in some cognitive disconnect. I'll give you an example. Both of the first two groups that I talked about were accurate in part and wrong in part. The radical side downplays the importance of jobs in people's life and the health of society at large. The current Green Party coalition, for example, ruling Germany, is now a perfect example. Olaf Scholz, the government who runs the, the party, is arguably the most incompetent in Germany's modern history. The coalition's green ideology, which sounded great, has demolished the country's vibrant industrial base, which once was the world's admiration point. In fact, it was the strongest nation, or the strongest country in all the European countries. Yes. Now, it's been overtaken by Russia. Yes, as of yesterday. And uh, no one thought that that would be possible. So the very foundation of a society in Germany and the perfection of their cars and the quality of what they produced and the how they went about providing a, a living wage for their citizens. Well, that's gone. It's all gone. Because now they don't have enough uh, fuel to keep their factories open. Thousands of factories are being closed. Why? Because the pipeline that America blew up, that uh, the Nordstrom pipeline, and the ideology that, well, we're going to uh, not have anything to do with Russia. Okay, but Russia's giving you the majority of your fuel. We'll get it elsewhere. Well, they didn't. And now millions of Germans are suffering. That's the consequences of green ideology that does not think well through anything. So you take a vibrant industrial base, which once held the world's admiration, and has shown itself to be empty-handed and incapable of replacing this loss with anything viable. Today, Germany is becoming a basket case of Western Europe. And this is a direct consequence of inept radical green ideologies. So despite youthful act activists such as Greta Thunberg, who had honest messages, and I, I've said many times, I support those messages, but is that leading to actual change? And the answer is no. And many uh, international young environmental voices march through the halls of the World Economic Forum as the new generation's exemplars of a great reset future. Are any truly substantial changes being made that are reversing climate trends? No. Indeed, their message is authentic. However, is it making any difference? Well, where I look, Thunberg may be a hero to her generation. I accept that, and good for her. But only a small faction of teenagers and young adults who at least had their eyes partially open are doing anything. But Greta pales in the shadow of media celebrities like Kylie Jenner with her unlimited amounts of shoes and footwear and, and clothes and private jets, one of the largest private jets in California. And so she has hundreds of millions of young followers. Well, how can you be 
for a healthy, sustainable environment. At the same time, you're following the example of just massive overconsumption. Now, it's her right to overconsume. It's her right to have a million pairs of shoes. Does she care where they're made? Does she care about anything of the consequences? Or is it just pure, egocentric, self-entitled gluttony? And the delusional mainstream media knows it will get more attention and more views by spotlighting Jenner's obsessive-compulsive consumerism over Thunberg's dirty overhauls and cardboard signs. At least Greta's out there making a difference to the degree she can. So good for her. As long as we remain a consumer's culture and reward hyperactive and emotionally fragile influencers, nothing will change to address climate and environmental threats at any crucial level. Now, a third group simply denies outright anthropogenic climate change or at best believes human impact on global warming is minimal. The U.S. currently has the largest percent of any nation's population that is not concerned about climate change. Yes. Take a look at the people who argue are Donald Trump, Jordan Peterson, Alex Jones, Mike Adams, a whole list of people, Tucker Carlson, um, all the people over on Fox. They say, no, no, we're not the cause, and you got to have a free market, and we got to grow our economy. Well, at what cost? That's all I ask them. At what cost? All right? And this tends to lean towards the radical right among its leading voices. In their opinion, economic and social issues should take precedence, including protection and expansion of fossil fuel industries and preserving the neoliberal capitalist doctrine of infinite growth on a finite planet, which Marx warned about in the middle of the 19th century. This position is not without its reasons. They have no reason to trust a government that acts on its own behalf to the detriment of human liberty. There is no reason to believe anything coming from the mouths of the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, Bill Gates, and politicians serving private interest over public good. They lied about COVID-19 pandemic. They lied about weapons of mass destruction. They lied about Vietnam. They lied about they lied about the Korean War, they, the need for it. They lied about so many things. They lied about destroying Libya and, and all the other things they've done since. They lied about America's entry into Afghanistan and Iraq. They bailed out Wall Street and financial institutions, but not a penny towards the average suffering consumer. The very institutions, the same institutions that were so irresponsible, so negligent, and so greedy got bailed out by the very people who lost their homes and their jobs. So why should these institutions' threats and fear-mongering about global warming, a pending collapse of human civilization, and the urgency for a great Green New Deal be given any legitimacy? Therefore, this group rejects anthropogenic climate change outright and demands a return to the old normal. Agro-industrial farming, put it in high gear, fossil fuel extractions, hydrofact, yeah, economic growth over environmental responsibility and human health, and just everybody keep consuming everything you can all the time. That's their motto. 
In addition, there is, of course, the entire conservative-leaning Judeo-Christian theological base that embraces this view. So what is to be done amongst them? It's the warring tribes, either concerned or apathetic towards climate change. Obviously, any abrupt, simple-minded and gullible uh, systemic change, as in Germany, will have catastrophic economic, social, and human consequences. And no one should be so dewy-eyed as to believe that Germany's policies were not aligned with the World Economic Forum. They were. Climate change and global warming are undoubtedly real threats, legitimate threats, despite all the failures to predict how and when future tipping points are going to be reached. But all their solutions are wrong. They're stupid. It's embarrassing how lacking in understanding they are. Therefore, it is incumbent to act intelligently and take into account what is factual and removed from everything that is economically and politically ideological. At the popular level of societies, people must learn to gradually, but quickly, wean themselves away from buying so much stuff. That's the number one issue. We just buy too much, and we buy more stuff. They create more stuff. When they create more stuff, they increase their profits, the gross domestic product, which measures the country's viability. We grew 2.5. We grew 8%. China grew 10%. Yeah, at what cost? You have to manufacture. You have to extract resources. You have to exploit people and, and the environment to get this stuff. Do we care where our dresses and suits and shirts are made? Not at all as long as we can buy them inexpensively, so inexpensively, that if something gets soil on them, we can just throw them away. They build obsolescence into this. Do we care about the people who suffered, working at 24 cents an hour for 12 hours a day, who have the shortest work lifespan in the world, in Bangladesh? No, we do not care about them. We say we do, but we don't. Because judge yourself by what you do, not by what you think or say. And especially we should be making stuff in the United States as we once did, instead of importing it. So regardless of how meaningless the gross domestic product has become as a metric to evaluate the economic and social health of a country, consumerism is nevertheless tied to the gross domestic product. So the world's three largest polluters, China, India, and the United States, will not, under any circumstance, curtail their economic growth, nor will their, will their corporations agree well, we're going to change completely so that our products are not harming the environment or people. They're not going to do that. In fact, we're going to continue to subsidize these monolithic failures. Therefore, if we're honest, if we can just be honest for a moment in our lives, and it may be the only time some people are honest once they become adults, is that we're the problem. The consumers are the problem. Yes, you can blame propaganda and Edward Bernay, the father of psychology, and he used some of his uncle's uh, work and manipulating the common mind. Uh, Freud was his uncle. And he created public relations. He was able to make people think they need something when they just wanted it. He wanted you to have stuff you didn't need and then to like it even when it is against all of the common sense and reason. He wanted to eat foods that were harmful for you. And what do we eat today? We eat foods that cause disease. Who's protecting us? No one. 
And we advertise for children to eat things and drink things will cause obesity, diabetes, non-alcoholic liver disease, heart disease in children. Welcome back, everyone. Time for talk back. If you'd like to share any concept or concerns or ideas or solutions to our discussion from yesterday and today, which took up virtually the entire program both days, but I felt it was necessary. You can't just spend five minutes on a topic as important as global warming and come up with any important insights. That's why I've devoted over an hour and a half to it in the last two days. But those are just my ideas. I know that many of you have better ideas. Share them with us. Are your concerns? 888-874-4888. Now we're going to go to a short clip. Do you remember I said about a year ago when the woke and cancel culture and identity politics were in full rage where corporate America was hiring level upon level upon layers and the educational institutions of these so-called woke administrators that you have to accept and be indoctrinated into a whole new ideology of being. And the first target they went against was uh, women and uh, don't want the word women used. They want to erase it from the vernacular, dad, uh, brother, sister, father, grandparents. They don't want any of the words that they say trigger someone to be unconscionable, be unhappy. When she was, what happened in Hawaii? Why did all those people who had water not get water that day? As a result, some people could have gone into their homes if they couldn't have got outside, filled up their bathtub, got in there, and they could have survived. Or they could have gone out when it was a small fire and put their fire hoses on and they could have put it out. Because one person, one individual, who you haven't heard about, nothing, it's all gone, like it never happened, who is a woke person, hired because of the woke philosophy, decided that, well, we can't let all this water go there to put out the fire until we first make sure it's not going to interfere with this farmer's concerns about water. It took like five hours to reach the person. Till then, they let the water on. The damage was done. Everything was burned. So there's a consequence to this. And I said, what you're not hearing out there, you're hearing all the shrill voices, shrill voices, but you're not hearing from the silent Americans of all backgrounds, all ethnicities, all religions, all body politic. You will. What's starting? Finally, the average person who is denied, demeaned, ridiculed, and mocked is standing up. One example is Arkansas. The governor of Arkansas has signed an order banning woke terms like pregnant people from the state government. Good. It's a beginning. It's starting. All right, let's hear what they have to say. We got a whole crew. Good afternoon, and thank you all for joining us. It's great to stand up here with some of the most influential and amazing women from across our state. We are all here to say, frankly, that we've had enough. Enough trying to erase women and girls, enough denying our biological differences from men, and enough of the craziness that is taking over our country. I've had the honor of being both the first woman and the first mother to serve as the governor of Arkansas. 
Before that, I was the first mother and the only the third woman to serve as the White House press secretary. Because of that, I came into this role with a few pretty unique experiences. Among them is giving birth to three amazing kids. That experience underscored to me that a woman's perspective is important and fundamentally different from a man's. Nowadays, though, only conservatives seem to be making that point. On the left, women have taken a back seat to political correctness. It's why Senator Irving and Representative Barker had to pass the Fairness in Women's Sports Act to defend our girls across the state. They're using nonsense words to erase women and girls, and more importantly, to erase our voices and our experiences. Today, we're taking a stand against woke nonsense. What frankly started as a fad among a few grad students has seeped down into corporations, the healthcare industry, and increasingly state government. It's demeaning to women, and it needs to stop. In a moment, I'll sign an executive order banning a number of all sorts of ridiculous words from state government documents. Those include words like pregnant people, laboring person, birth giver, and several other nonsense terms that have cropped up in recent years. Some on the left will accuse us of being nitpicky, that Arkansas should just lay down and accept the cultural revolution without complaint. I say it's the exact opposite. It's the left that decided that woman is a dirty word. It's the left that decided we needed to toss out basic biology and basic grammar along with it. I think they're just mad that conservatives are starting to fight back. And they better get ready because we're just getting started. Thank you for being here and thank you to the amazing women that are standing up here with me. I'll sign this. Okay. Watch how many of their states engage it. Let's just say I, based upon the woke culture, I call home. Hi, mom. No, Gary, you can't say mom. No, no, no. Gotta say vagina that bleeds or breastfeeder. Okay, all right. Uh, put me on with dad. No, no, you can't say dad. You can't say father. You can't say male. No, no, you gotta say testicles producing sperm. Wow. I, I've gotta, they want, they want us to have by law committed to saying these things. And if not, then anything we say like mom and dad be considered hate speech and causing people to go crazy, especially those. You know, the 40-some-year-old uh, Caucasian women, college graduates, and the, hel the helicopter mothers, the bulldozer mothers, the soccer moms. We've all seen them. We know who they are. Well, a big boo-hoo to you. We're going to use the terms that cultures all over the world have. We're going to reestablish that there's a legitimacy to families and morals and values. And if you don't want it, that's your right. You don't have to. But this whole idea of compelled speech, compelled thinking, my God, the next step is that what? What comes after that when you have no rights? Well, now people are speaking back. Good for them. We're out of time for WBI. We're going to say goodbye to you, and we're going to continue to the top of the hour on PRN.live. And I'm going to ask the people in New York, do we have any calls up? If we do, I'll be happy to take those calls. No, we don't. No, no calls yet? Well, you can call in at 888-874-888. By the way, I've already laid out next week's programs. Oh, we've got some heavyweights coming on. Tuesday night, Dr. Robert Malone, MD, PhD philosopher, talking about the world we live in and how the vast majority of physicians and scientists are cowards and refuse to speak up when they knew the truth 
and yet they went with official doctrine and protocols because it saved their income and careers. So that means those who did speak up, they're modern-day heroes. We're going to talk about that on Tuesday night. In any case, uh, then until some calls come in, I'm going to give you our special of the day. Now, this is just no ordinary special because this is one of those that really makes a difference in your body. How many times have you heard me talk about the power and importance of cruciferous vegetables, right? I've given you all the background on that that you need. You know, the broccoli, the asparagus, Brussels sprouts, the broccoli sprouts, uh, the, uh, the asparagus, the, all, the kale, all the different mustard family, all these different vegetables that are in there, and why you should have them in your body. Well, you should, but most people don't. In fact, most people would find it difficult to remember when they actually consciously went out to buy a cruciferous vegetable, like spinach is in here, apple pectin, beets, broccoli, kale, chocolate, parsley, turmeric, watercress, carrots, celery, cabbage, collard greens, and Brussels sprouts are all in here. So you talk about taking something into your body every day that is known to make a difference in a very positive way. Why not do something to help prevent something? Cruciferi stuff does exactly that. So that's part of it. But then you're going to get a book, The Food Mood Connection, which is really important because it takes you in depth on things you may not appreciate, how foods and beverages and the ingredients therein can adversely affect your hormone levels, your digestive system, your muscular system, causing all kinds of problems, hidden allergies, including cerebral allergies. You're getting that big book. You're also getting my brand new documentary, Aging is Natural, Growing Old is an Option, How to Add Quality Years to Your Life. And this is, uh, this is just out, just finished, and it documents the first five clinical studies on aging that I did. You get to see the people, hear their stories, see where they came from. But most importantly, you get to see the intake. We had blood chemistry and all these different um, models when they came in, and then we have it at the end when they left. And you can't imagine the huge difference in a person's health. In fact, there's a peer-review article now out there, um, and it's, it's getting people's attention uh, on how to add years to your life. And it's the first clinical study to ever do that based upon strong uh, scientific documentation. So this whole journey of anti-aging is in this documentary. I'm now finishing the last part, and I'm going to ask the people who have not sent in their final uh, metrics to Luann to do so, because you were invited into that study. You were given all that time and attention and input. My lifetime as a scientist and as a clinician of helping evolve this principle. And some people haven't finished their work yet. How selfish. But that's, hey, <laughs> don't get me started on how absolutely selfish most people are. They get what they want and then goodbye. Well, you can't screen them all out. So if you haven't sent in your stuff, send it in or you're out of the study. And that's that. But for those of you who want to know seriously want to know and have the discipline to follow through on how to slow down and reverse the aging process, this documentary 
Aging is natural, but growing old is an option. And we showed in here, 2.2 years added to the average person's lifespan, but that wasn't realistic because 10 of the people in there didn't follow the protocols, even on campus. So now uh, we're, we adjusted. So if, if everyone on campus had followed the protocols, we would have added about five years of extra living, healthy living, onto a person's life. The human condition is really flawed, and the older you get, the more screwed up you become. That's my experience. Now, that may not be yours, and I hope not, but there's a difference between knowing someone who's older and having to be with someone who's older so you see the dark side that was never resolved. And that's unfortunate because we can resolve so many things in a positive way. So you're getting the cruciferous stuff. Just Google all those cruciferous vegetables and see why they're in there, and you think, wow, I'm not taking all these in every day. I should. You bet you should. Then read the Food Mood Connection, see if that doesn't help you, and then understand why you shouldn't be having a lot of the things you're having. And then watch the video, Aging is Natural. All of this for only $79. How much would it cost? Would well, it cost you uh, well over $158. You're getting over 50% off. So how do you order? It's simple. You just call that number, and you order it, and you can call uh, Neil in the Vitamin Closet, at uh, 646-926-5430. Or you can order it yourself. Just go online and you can order it. Or you can call this number and speak with Sandy and Diane and order it. 877-627-5065. 877-627-5065. A really healthy protocol and premium for you. We're out of time, everyone. Thank you for listening in. And now, Jeremiah. Jeremiah. 